The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of the Heat Check, the Milwaukee Bucks just played their 41st game on Saturday, which means we are officially at the halfway point of the NBA season. Where did the time go? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it was like all of those G League call-ups that made us think that we were like three weeks into the NBA season because it's really only been three weeks of the real NBA season before COVID struck the league. It's like we've been watching uh, the big three turn into the big five. So, nope, we're not. We are barreling towards the all-star break. We are a month and change away. And we have the trade deadline coming soon. So, Brock, let's get into it. Let's drop that beat. Since we are halfway into the season, I think it's time we do two things. One, make some predictions, which I love to do. Prediction time. Prediction time is where I plant my little flag into my take, and for the rest of the season, I defend that flag in that take for the rest of the way. That's when I get super fucking annoying. That's when I literally like scream that the Bucks are the most overrated team to ever make the finals. That's where I say crazy things. That's when I say like Ben Simmons is a bum. Utah Jazz aren't doing shit. Like things that are true, but things that are very inflammatory. That is happening. That is happening starting now. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to survey the NBA landscape and give you my leaders on who I think will win all of the major awards this year cue the haters in the comment section nothing they love more than them telling me that i'm wrong when reality if you let the time set in and you just wait for the clock to tick tock tick i'm usually right i'm usually right at the end of the day haters are gonna hate so let's do it let's start with the babies the ones that are just taking their first little baby steps rookie of the year my rookie of the year is everyone's rookie of the year i think Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley maybe was one of my worst takes I've ever had. I have a thing against the Pac-12. I have a thing against Pac-12 quarterbacks, and I certainly have a thing against Pac-12 big men. You got a big man, seven feet, quote-unquote athletic, coming out of the University of Southern California. And I thought to myself... And, by the way, the Cleveland Cavaliers drafted him, which you knew was a recipe at that point, I thought, was a recipe for disaster. Just the fact that the Sacramento Kings take someone, just the fact that the Cleveland Cavaliers take someone, means I immediately downgrade them in my mind. Smart franchise takes them, I'm like, ooh, Golden State likes Evan Mobley? Which is also sometimes a farce, like James Wiseman. But, like, I don't trust you, Cleveland, and I don't trust you, USC. But, boy... Was I wrong? Boy, was I wrong. Evan Mobley's getting 34 minutes a game as a rookie with all seven-footers. I thought to myself, like, oh, they got Jared Allen as an insurance policy for Evan Mobley not working out. Or they didn't know that they were going to get Evan Mobley and they traded for Jared Allen, and all of a sudden, here we are. One of them's going to play, one of them's going to sit. Why would you pay Jared Allen all that money? You extended him. You have Evan Mobley now. Is Evan Mobley not that good? No, folks, they're playing them at the same goddamn time. Two seven-footers playing two different roles, functioning in symbiosis. 
just beautiful basketball being played. He's played 34 minutes, like I said, a game as a rookie. He's averaging 15, 8, and 3. Offensively good, defensively elite. He's averaging 1.8 blocks and one steal per game as a fucking rookie. His defensive rating, 103. That's absurd. That is absolutely absurd. His greatest strength as a defender is like he's seven feet tall and doesn't get cooked by guards. That's great. That's in incredible. That's actually what makes Laurie Markinen so good too is like these guys aren't getting – it's usually tween, tween, gone, gone. You're, you're like past these seven-footers. You're at the rim, and then as a defender, you then, as like the Evan Mobley of the world, you wait for them to go past you, and then you try to block them. No, no, he stays in front of all these guards, which to me is one of the most impressive things. Like, And I love Giannis, DPOY, like he won that award. He gets cooked by guards all the time. At this point in this season, Evan Mobley ranks third among anchor bigs in positional versatility per basketball index. So, I mean, that's just tremendous. At, he can do anything. He can guard guards. He can guard. He's not that um, weak in terms of guarding centers either. He can get cooked by like a thicker guy like, say, a Giannis, but nobody can guard Giannis. At 19 years old, Mobley is already one of the best big switching big men in the league. He's a fucking rookie. And that's the key to everything that Cleveland's doing. If Evan Mobley is not there, this Cleveland Cavaliers team is exactly where they were the year before. Like, yes, Laurie Markkinen's a nice piece. Yes, Ricky Rubio was a nice piece. But, like, without Evan Mobley, I don't think this thing goes. He is now the fifth player in history with at least 50 assists and 30 blocks over his first 20 games. That's insane. J.J. Redick said this, Evan Mobley is unbelievable defensively. I do not think people are realizing or talking about it. Uh, Maybe J.J. Redick needs to tune in to heat check because we've been talking about this thing since... Pretty early on. He said, this guy is a future defensive player of the year. I watched 20 minutes of YouTube highlights of Evan Mobley's defense. He does everything, including switching on to smaller guards. He basically is everyone that everyone wanted James Wiseman to be. Like, James Wiseman is not this. Like, he's not this. He's not as smart. He's not as versatile. He's not as skilled offensively. He's not as skilled defensively. Uh, He is not. And... Yes, James Wiseman can shoot the three. Yes, James Wiseman's seven feet tall. Yes, he's lean and lanky, but they are not the same players. James Wiseman is barely scratching the surface in terms of his upside. He's just started playing basketball. Like, he's played, like, ten games for Memphis. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, Yeah, so Evan Mobley also amazing at cutting to the basket in right moments and decisively. He sees Jared Allen at the, like, in the elbow – and immediately dives for lobs, for dunks, for layups. Like, he can hit a turnaround jumper. He is so good, so much better than I could have ever imagined him being. Uh, Scotty Barnes needs consideration as well. He's plus 360 to win it. Don't think he's going to get it, but he had an early case. He had COVID, then he had a knee injury, but that's pretty much all she wrote. Some argue that his... Real upside is as a six-man. Can't win, win rookie of the year if you're upside a six-man. Right. Just can't. One of his the biggest surprises uh, in his time as a Raptor is really just like he is a real point guard, shot creator. Well, real point guard in the age of 2020. A shot maker. He can score with a bunch of different low post moves, floaters, and he can play the guard position and play on the perimeter. If he increases his ability to shoot the three, a la, say, like uh, John Morant has, Different, different size, but like same skill set to a degree. Um, I think he could turn into a really nice piece. Nurse continuously implores Barnes to be more aggressive and to raise his average uh, field goal attempts per game. So, I mean, he's just a baby. Totally different situations. Another one for consideration for Rookie of the Year. Another huge surprise is my guy. If you're going to be like, oh, why didn't you talk about Cade? I don't want to talk about Cade. I just don't. I just don't. I'm going to talk about Franz Wagner. Biggest surprise of the year by far. You're Wagner. You should be not good. You should not be good. You're your brothers with Mo Wagner. 
pretty much all. I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you know what I mean. Like, I think everybody actually thought that. Not just me. Not just the hater in me. Everybody's like, oh, Franz Wagner, like, plays a different game, but, like, he is still Mo Wagner's, like, blood brother. He has logged 35 games for the Magic, logged over 1,100 minutes before any of the rookies reached 1,000. So he is getting significant time, even with guys like Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz. Those guys have been out of the rotation, and so Wagner has showed off his abilities as a primary ball handler. Didn't think that was possible. I really thought Franz Wagner was like a corner shoot guy. Like, I just thought he would just shoot a bunch of threes. You would just kick out to him. Maybe he would slash. But no, he's now, like, killing his PRA props. His PRA props sometimes are in the 30s, and he's smashing that. I think I didn't take it the other night, and he had 38 points or something bonkers like that. Like, he has been awesome. And I don't think anyone predicted that he would be this good off the dribble, but he's shown that not only is he off a, a good off-the-ball player, and he's not going to, like, blow by anyone, but he's really good at angles. He's a smart player. Cue the German stereotypes. like, <laughs> like, But, like, he knows how to use angles, use math to get by his defenders. And offensively, he works really well without the ball, which is huge. Not a lot of players, listen, not a lot of players like to move their bodies without the ball. Ask Russell Westbrook about that. He gets a he does a good job of getting off screens and making cuts, getting easy layoffs to the basket. He's a good spot up shooter. And it's almost practically impossible to contest his shot when he's in the air because he's so long. He can guard really well. He can keep up with anyone on the court on the defensive end. And if his opponent ever beats him to the rim, he's great at still. Like I said, when guys get cooked, you got to figure out a way after the fact to get, you know, a block up. And that's what he does. He's getting good contests even when he gets cooked, which is huge. Josh Giddy been really surprising at how good he is as well. 11, 8, and 6, but the numbers really don't tell the whole story. He was just named Rookie of the Month with my man Franz Wagner. Became the youngest player to get a triple-double. He has recorded six double-doubles. That's crazy. Youngest player to ever record a triple-double in history. Recording six double-doubles. Of those six, two games have come with just rebounds and assists. So, like, the guy doesn't even need to get buckets to make impact. He started 32 games this year for OKC. He has, in my opinion, been one of the reasons that OKC says, all right, well, maybe we won't tank this year. Like, Josh Giddy, Shea, like, maybe they need to, like, let him compete. Who knows? We'll see what happens. We don't need to, like, actively try to lose games. And Sam Presti's probably salivating at how many first-round picks he can get for Josh Giddy right now. You can probably get four first-rounds for Josh Giddy when he turns 22. And then my next favorite, I can go past, like, Jalen Green. He's been good. He's had a rough cha- rough start, but, like, you know, he's been fun to watch. Chris Duarte was a nice little piece in the beginning, and then he got COVID and cooled off. But to me, the last player I really want to highlight is Herb Jones. Herb Jones. And I don't mean oregano. I mean, that's his name, Herb. He is becoming beloved in New Orleans, not only because he's six foot eight. And he can be a 3 and D wing. But he can actually, like, read the floor. He can see plays before they happen. And that is exactly what separates him from the other players, not only in his class, but at his position. He currently leads, here's an amazing stat, he currently leads all rookies in deflections at 57 and steals at 29. He's second among all rookies in blocks, and that's including Evan Mobley. In the past three games, he's racked up a total of 11 steals, joining only Chris Paul as the only rookies in franchise history with three-plus steals in three straight games. And he's, again, not 6'1". He's 6'8". So for him to be able to use his body, use his length and wingspan to get steals and to play good defense, it's just tremendous. And on, on defense right now, he's already been through the gauntlet. He's checked Donovan Mitchell. He's checked Damian Lillard. He's checked Luka Doncic, Paul George, Bradley Beal, other players who routinely cook. He's had varying levels of success guarding all of them. But and, and like while he's not a lockdown defender, his perimeter defense has been incredible, and that is exactly what Donovan Mitchell said about him. This is what he said. Donovan Mitchell. He is going to be in this league for a very long time. Defensively, he's, he's tough. I want to give him his props. He makes you work, and he makes you think. He's a hell of a player, and he makes life hard for scorers like me. Not a lot of players make life difficult 
on Donovan Mitchell. Let's just say that. He routinely gets his shot off however he wants, whenever he wants, at any time. And I think what's incredible to me is that New Orleans has been trash. They've been awful. But with Herb Jones in the lineup, they've actually been pretty good. When he's on the court, New Orleans, who have who has like been a terrible defensive team, mostly because of Zion, for the last couple of years, with Herb Jones on the court, they have a defensive rating of 104. When he's which is equivalent of top five in the league. When he's not on the floor, their defensive rating drops to 114.5, which is just slightly better than the league worst. So he is making a huge difference. And he's not just like a savvy defensive player. That's the thing that I think he's getting all the credit for. But now there's new articles coming out like, actually, Herb Jones is a bucket as well. Quick first step, can put the ball on the floor, he can slash, he can pass. He can actually be used the way that they want to use Zion, as a point forward. (laughs) Then he's probably going to end up on the all-rookie team. A few games ago, he had this silly stat line that needs to be discussed. Silly. 26 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks, 2 threes, 10 for 8 from the field, 2 for 4 from 3, 4 for 4 three free throws, and 0 turnovers. That is some efficient basketball, folks. Yeah, those are my rookies of the year. Like I said, I would give the nod, and, and I wouldn't put my money there just because of it's minus 110, which means you get only 90% of your money back. But Evan, <laughs> Evan, Evan Mobley, you got to give that man his flowers, and he's going to win it unless he gets like some sort of catastrophic injury, knock on wood. Let's go defensive player of the year. I mean, to me, this one's not close either. It's not close. It's Draymond Green, and Vegas thinks so too. Draymond has been talking about him being the defensive player, the best defensive player in all of basketball for like the last five years. Mm-hmm. He even said it last year, you guys, don't give this award to Rudy Gobert's ass. Give it to me. I'm way better than Rudy Gobert at defense. So good this year, Quinn Snyder thinks that Draymond Green should seriously be considered for MVP. That's how good he's been. This is what Quinn Snyder said. I'm not going to qualify this by saying no disrespect to Steph or Rudy, but Draymond Green is as unique a player and is having as good of a year as both of them. If you want to put someone in the MVP conversation, he's someone to me that maybe the numbers don't match up to the numbers other guys put up, but as far as the way that he impacts the game, whether it's his passing, his defense, which you obviously know how we feel about Rudy's versatility and all the things that he does, Draymond is like that. Draymond's better than that. He just does it in his own way. And then he adds the leadership that he shows and the way that he communicates. I think that he is an unbelievable player. This is Quinn Snyder on Draymond Green. And I think he's showing that this year. He's shown it before, but it stands out so much right now when you watch them play. Why? Because they're winning. He's been doing this. He did this last year. There were times where Draymond Green was guarding legit centers and holding his own, being like, I'm the fucking guy. I am I am not too small. I am that dude. Draymond, let's talk about stats. Ranks 27th in steals, 29th in block shots. There are nine rotation regulars on Draymond's own team that have a better defensive rating than he does. However, the reason that he is almost a lock to win Defensive Player of the Year is this. Golden State ranks first in defensive rating, first in opponent's field goal percentage, first in points allowed, second in defensive rebounding percentage. Who do you think is doing that? Fourth in opponent's three-point percentage, and Green is the engine. He's the one that makes it go. He talked about this with NBA.com. This is what he told them. This is just like... One of the most, like, porn-level quotes you're going to get in basketball. Nerds are going to go crazy over this. I heard this, and I was like, oh, my God. Is Draymond Green almost just as transcendent as Steph Curry? Because this is not something that you hear NBA players say about the way that they look at defense. This is what he said. Here's the way that I look at defense. When I watch film from a game, or I watch any particular game, I'm not watching the game that plays the passing lane to get the steal. That guy, more often than not, will completely destroy our shell. 
He's destroying rotations on the defensive end. And more importantly, that guy is gambling. And just like any time in your life when you gamble, there's a higher risk you're going to lose. Your defense will probably suffer from that guy killing your positioning. It's the same way with block shots. In order to be a great defensive player, you can't just do that. So we never say that LeBron is great because he scores so well. We never say it's because he passes the ball so well. We never say it's because he runs the team so well. We say LeBron James is great because he does it all so well. We say LeBron James is great because he does it all, all the time. Defense historically is not viewed like that. It's the guy that gets a lot of steals or block shots a lot of times is defensive player of the year. I don't think that tells the story of the defensive end. It's important for me to cover for everyone. That's covering the backdoor cut. That's putting guys in the right position. That's the middle linebacker who's reading the play and knows what the offense is going to do right up to the line, and then he shifts his defensive tackle over to close the gap that you know that they're about to run through. That's how I approach the defensive end. I am the linebacker who's going to get everybody to their right spots. And after I get them into the right spots, then I have to be there to cover them. That dude is a fucking genius. Draymond Green is a fucking genius. He should get it every year. He's so much more elite than everyone else in the league. Regardless of what the stats say, Draymond Green is what makes the Golden State Warriors as good as they are. He consistently gets undersold because he's not an offensive player in any way. He does not care about that. Find you someone who cares about defense as much as Draymond Green that's not seven feet tall. Like, it's just, for him to be, from where he came from, fat, to be trimmed down, to care about his body, to become one of the most transcendent, transformational players at this one thing, and still be able to score if he needs to, you just have to give it to him. Uh, On the list is also Rudy Gobert. Fuck him. Uh, Let's move on. Giannis. Yeah, he's tall. Giannis, plus 1,100 for Defensive Player of the Year. Probably one of the very few players that can win with his defensive alone, but you can't give it to him because he just keeps winning it. And he scores 30 a game, so it's like, yawn. Mikhail Bridges, very underrated dude. Mikhail Bridges, hugely improved. People give me hell for this. I said, hey, what role player? If you had to choose one role player to build a team around, who would it be? And for me... Yeah, it's like, that's an interesting question to ask. One role player to, to create a team around who to be for me, it's Mikhail Bridges. He can do fucking everything. He's a team player. He's a winner. And he's from Philly and got scorned from Philly, so you know I love him. <laughs> Joel Embiid, another Philly guy. Great defensive year. But the issue is availability. And everybody says, Philadelphia people always try to gaslight you and tell you availability is not the best ability, but it's not not the best ability either. (laughs) He's missed a month already, and he misses Ben defensively, and this team is going absolutely nowhere. Let's talk about MVP. I have a hot take for who I would give MVP to. Is it Steph? Is it Braun? Is it Embiid? How could you be so bold and say LeBron James? How could you say Giannis Antetokounmpo? To me, what about Jokic? Jokic, one of the best passers in the league, highest player efficiency rating of any player in the NBA ever in history. Kevin Durant putting his team on his back like an Iron Man, playing all the minutes, playing 50-plus minutes a night if Steve Nash allows for Like, if there's 50 minutes, he's playing 50 minutes. Steve Nash, intent to drive Kevin Durant into the ground. (laughs) To me, all that's fun and cute. But I need to say, DeMar DeRozan is my MVP. He is the center of the Bulls turnaround. People, and like narratives matter. Yes. Narratives in MVP race matter. What is the MVP all predicated on? We talked about this last year at this time. It's one, where you stand in the standings. You can't be OKC and Russell Westbrook was an anomaly to the formula. Normally, you either have to be 
somewhere between one and three in your conference, but more likely it's one to three in the entire NBA. That's the way it is. And you have to be the centerpiece of that, and you have to be consistently making noise, doing things, breaking records, getting yourself into the headlines. That's it. Like, you have to do those things. Damar is doing all of that. You're talking about a team didn't even make the playoffs last year. Talk about narratives. DeMar DeRozan was seen as the worst free agent signing in the entire summer. People even said, not me, but people even said it could be one of the worst free agent signings in history. DeMar DeRozan, seen as a guy that the NBA passed by, that the league doesn't allow for his style of play anymore. He barely shoots threes. He only likes to play in the mid-range. Does he play defense? How is he going to how is he going to function with Zach Levine? Zach Levine needs the ball. You got DeMar DeRozan leading the NBA in clutch points in the fourth quarter. That's fucking insane. He's the only player in NBA history who's hit game-winning threes in back-to-back days. One of them was off one foot. Like his name was Dirk Nowitzki. Just tossed it up recklessly. He said, oh, yeah, I was going to pass that to Vooch. And then I looked at the time and I was like, don't think we have time for that. And I think we've grown somewhat numb to LeBron's brilliance and Embiid's dominance. And it's easy to forget about, you know, the down around the play in cut line. Like, here's the thing. Like, they're number one in the East. Where is Le- Where are the Lakers? Not there. Where are the Sixers? Not there. Where are the Nuggets? Not there. So it's what, Steph? And it's DeMar? And it's probably, that's really it. And, and KD. It's, it's Steph and KD, and then third people will say, I don't even think DeMar is in the mix right now, which is a travesty. KD, they've already won it. Steph and KD, you know the media wants to give it to Steph. And that's why he's probably going to win it. And thank God he's in the middle of a shooting slump. Because maybe, just maybe, and I think I saw this today in the uh, emails from like NBA.com that Giannis is currently leading. The world wants the guys like Giannis, KD, and Steph. But it's Steph, Giannis, KD. But they need They'll to give, give it to it KD. To Worst case. Steph Curry's at plus 125. Here's some other guys, of course, that are in consideration. Jokic said that Steph is the most impressive player in the NBA, so if an MVP says it, it must be true. He said, look at this, what this guy is doing. My God, his shots just keep falling. Not recently, they haven't. I think he missed 14 in a row. I said it to myself, too. I said, if Steph goes, I'm praying for a Steph shooting slump in a, in a duration of a matter of weeks if not months, because I want to buy low on Steph Curry for MVP. Because it was like minus 200, 25 games into the season. And then Steph had to break the record for most threes of all time. And then he hasn't been the same since then, really. Narrative-based, I think the reason that he'll win it is because he broke the all-time three-point record this season. He's gone nuclear and in a bunch of different games, pulling them from huge deficits to winning outright by, you know, 10-plus. Took he took them to a 9-1 and one start, as I said, would never happen. Best team in the Western Conference after being in the lottery two straight years. Plus, plus defender now. Like, he's actually a good defender now. His best year points-wise points in his career. That's crazy. When he was a unanimous MVP, he's doing better from a points perspective now than he was then. Best statistical year rebounding, best second best statistical year for free throw percentage. And the world wants Steph to win it because he's cute and he's nice and he's all about God and shit. And I love Steph. I love Steph, I do. And I want him to win if DeMar doesn't win. But Jesus Christ, like... Can we get another fresh blood in? Like, Golden State's a dynasty. I just said Draymond Green's one of the most transcendent, transformational players in NBA history. None of the players on Chicago are any of those things. I like Zach Levine. He's a bucket, but, like, he's not transforming a goddamn thing. 
Vucevic is just like a nice little seven-footer that can shoot some threes, and, you know, you have to hide him on defense. Like, he's nice. Alex Crusoe, the GOAT, but he's been out. DeMar DeRozan's doing this on his back. He's got nice teammates, but no one to the tune of Draymond Green and eventually Klay Thompson. When Klay Thompson goes back, comes back in the lineup, I hope he goes nuclear. I know I said I want to vote for Steph Curry, but I'm now on the DeMar train. Like, I'm on the DeMar train. I hope Steph, I hope Clay Thompson becomes the dominant force. He's putting up 50, and Steph Curry MVP goes, go away. Kevin Durant averaging, let's get to him, plus 240 on the Vegas, uh, Vegas has him at. Averaging the most points since 2013, 29.2. I mean, he's out there all the goddamn time. Like, he's just never not on the court. His three-point percentage is down slightly. His minutes is up, of course, four minutes from last year, which is tremendous because Steve Nash used him a lot last year. He's playing really great defense. His defensive rating is down 4.3 points from last year. So he's playing some good defense. He's having to carry this team. So I don't hate the idea of him winning it. But you just, you're on a super team, dog. Like, you can't. You're on a super team, dog. Kyrie, Kyrie, you, Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge is a former All-Star. Blake, he's washed, but he's a former All-Star. Patty Mills, killer in the Olympics. Like, you have a super team. You do. I can't give you this. I just can't give it to you. He's made crucial shots in crunch time to give him the wins that he shouldn't be winning, but I don't care. I don't care. Like, you just can't give it to him. And if you're going to give it to someone outside of the realm of that standing formula, then you have to give at least LeBron a kind of a look, right? He's plus 3,600 values there. 29-7-7 and this year, the most points per game for him since 2009. Let me say it again. LeBron James is averaging more points per game than he has in over a decade. Since 2009, that's what, 13 years ago. When 13 years ago was happening, LeBron James was, Chuck's math, goes to math school, 24 years old. That's fucking insane! And he's playing the five. This man is playing center. He's still got the energy, getting bodied down low against other centers in, at defense and still has the energy to put up almost 30 points per game consistently. He put up 42 points on my Blazers head in 29 minutes of action. The guy is unreal. He's increased his playing time to 37 a night, just doing whatever it takes to keep the Lakers from drowning, just completely drowning. His field goal percentage, his three-point percentage, his free throw percentage, all improved from last year. And from a narrative-based, he looked at the camera the other night and he said, I'm a motherfucking problem, bitch. (laughs) Wow. LeBron is a fucking problem. In the last nine games... So is his roster, yeah. LeBron James, last nine games, he is averaging, this is fucking ridiculous, averaging 34.3 points per game, just shy of 10 rebounds per game, just shy of six assists per game, 1.7 steals per game, 1.4 blocks per game, and 55% from the field. Give that man a medal. Jesus Christ. Nikola Jokic, I've said it. He's good. Number one in the NBA and player impact estimate, 23.7. As you can tell, I don't care. Like, I just don't. I just, I love him, but he's fifth in usage, fourth in assist percentage. He's improved defensively. The Nuggets have a 97.4 defensive rating with him on the floor, and they are really gross when he's on the bench, 109. Defensive rating has increased from, this is actually a, a crazy stat. His defensive rating has increased from 109 to 102 this year. I I don't know. Like, I don't know how many people can impact their games and change that part of their game like that. But it's, I mean, that's impressive because he's a a doughboy who has been interested not at all in defense 
until now. I mean, he has to do everything now. This team is garbage. They have no one. Michael Porter Jr., gone. Jamal Murray, gone. P.J. Dozier, gone. Who else? I mean, uh, here, I mean, is that, that not enough? Like, they're they're done. They're done. 26-11-8 last year as an MVP. This year, it's better. Uh, 26-14-7. He increased his rebounds by 25%. Basically, basically, just right around what Giannis is doing. Only better bag, I guess. Just a slight decrease in assists, but guys have to knock down shots, and he has a bunch of plumbers next to him. So what are you going to do? I love Nikola Jokic, but Jesus Christ, you can't give him MVP because people don't even think it's real now that he won it. They don't even put him on national te- television. He's MVP. Can't give it to him. Giannis, virtually identical stats to last year. Slightly up in rebounds and free throw percentage. Like, Giannis is great, but no. Plus 900. Uh, Joel Embiid is at plus 3,600. He's missed an entire month. Can't give it to him. He's a great player. He's doing monster things since he's been back. 27, 11, and 4. Down two points per game, but up in rebounds, up in assists, up in steals, up in blocks. And he's shooting, this guy is seven feet tall. He's shooting 40% from three. I mean, that's, that's elite. That's better than guards in the league right now. Um, so, yeah, I like him. And John Moran is getting a little MVP love. I love John Morant. What he's doing is putting this team on his back. He shouldn't win it. He's not going to win it. Before his injury, let's just give some things. Jaw was co-leading the league in points in the paint. As you know, we've talked about this before. Scoring 16 points per game. He was tied with Anthony Davis in points in the paint, who is 6 feet tall, six foot 10 tall. All of this is meaningless. He's never going to win it. But he does have he does have the highlights where you say to yourself in that moment, Jaw for MVP. You say that, that's the moment, and then it dies. Like two seconds later, you're like, no, there's literally ten other guys that could win it above him. That's sad because I love Jaw. People are in the co- gonna be in the comments like, oh, you're shading Jaw, blah, blah, blah. You said he was MVP on your Twitter. Yeah, I said that literally when he put his nuts in some random seven footer's face, one legged, like off the bounce. Yeah, like at that moment, you're like, this guy is my favorite player in NBA history. Let's move to most improved because Jock could actually win that category. Desmond Bain is my pick. I'll just say this. Desmond Bain is my pick. He's not going to win it. He's plus 4,200. But the NBA is, you know, it's a popularity contest to a degree. Let's get Desmond Bain popular, shall we? Not going to win it, but he should. Because he's in a small market with John Morant. And I don't think people are really taking notice of how much he's improved. His player efficiency rating has gone from 14 to 17. He became a better finisher around the rim. He became a better free throw shooter. His 16 points per game is up 7 points from last year. Over 100. Is that true? Almost 100%, 80% increase from last year. Maskell, Maskell, Maskell. His rebound, his rebounding is also up from 3.1 to 4.1, 4.4. He's taking six more shots per game, and he's shooting 46.5 from the field, including 40%, just over 40% from three. And I think the thing that you can say is like, why is this happening? Memphis believes in Desmond Bain they traded away guys so that Desmond Bain could get these opportunities Grayson Allen you gotta go King you gotta go we don't care where you go but you can't go here you gotta go somewhere they traded him to the Bucks. that allowed Desmond Bain to get more opportunities more time with the ball in his hands and he is balling and this is a huge leap from a guy like you expect a lottery kid to go from year one to two and improve this guy was 30th in the draft. Like, Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson have improved, but, like, dude, that's what you were fucking supposed to do. Like, you're supposed to make a jump. Desmond Bain has transformed his entire game. He was a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and a defensive guy with a negative wingspan. His alligator arms, he should not be a good defender. Simple 3-and-D guy to a legit two-guard to the point where he is a part of a top five backcourt in the NBA. Him and Jaw, top five backcourt in the NBA. I said it. He can do pretty much everything. He never had the ball in his hands before this year. 
never wanted to put the ball on the floor consistently until Taylor Jenkins was like, hey, I, I'm going to need you to um, dribble. Like, don't just shoot things. Like, don't be Clay Thompson out here. It's time for you to slash. Like, you are a little running back out there. And that's what he is. He looks like a football player who, like, came to the Equinox on a random Saturday, and you're like, God damn, this dude's strong. And that was the evolution of his game. He has the fourth most points out of any player selected in the 2020 draft. Let me say it again. Desmond Bain has the fourth most points of any player selected in that 2020 draft goes to draft school. Let's see who else was in that draft really fast. Ant Edwards. James Wiseman. LaMelo Ball. Tyrese Halliburton. Cole Anthony. Sadiq Bey. Tyrese Maxey. Fourth most in that list, and he went 30th. And I think what's also interesting is that he is one of the emotional leaders of the team. Like, guys are going to Desmond Bain, and he's pumping them up and telling them where to be and what to do. What the plan is for the night. Taking clutch shots. On a team with Steven fucking Adams on it, for Desmond Bain to be the leader? What are we doing here, folks? Like, Desmond Bain's that guy. That is super impressive to me. His offensive rating is 113, and you say to yourself, how good is that, Trista? How good is that? That's better than Kevin Durant right now. Becoming a playmaker when the Grizzlies force him to play out of position. That man should win it. That's where my vote would go. He's not probably going to win it, but it's sad. It's a shame. John Morant, we talked about him. Let's move on. Miles Bridges is plus 300. He is the leader in the clubhouse, and it doesn't make no sense to me. I mean, he's tied for the team leading in scoring with LaMelo Ball, 19.7 points per game. Tops in shooting percentage among starters at 47%. This is a nerdy-ass episode, but, I mean, this is what we have to do. He has the most rebounds with 240, a lot of numbers, with 246. But, I mean, how are we going to put it in context? All career bests at this point in the season. That's pretty good for a guy who is primarily used as a high-end role player before the season started. Doubled his amount of dunks and mid-range shots, taking one and a half more threes per game. He has He's shooting, he's seven feet tall, shooting six threes per game at 30%, a down 40%, but his usage is up. He's up to seven from five rebounds. As you can see, these aren't that impressive numbers, like jumps. Like, I like him a lot. Good player. He has six 30-point games this year, but he's very boomer bust. Miles Bridges has not given me the consistency in his improvement level in any metric, and in some metrics, his numbers are down. For me, you can't be dominant sometimes and be sort of like disappearing in the background other times. I personally love him, but I would not give him that award, especially considering because me and my co-host were talking about this from BetMGM tonight, and he said, well, if Miles Bridges ends up becoming an all-star, you'd have to give it to him. And that's true, but Miles Bridges is not going to be an all-star. So that's just where we're at. We had many new articles coming out about where people are in the all-star voting. He's way low. He's not going to win it. He's not going to the All-Star game. If it ends up happening because of an injury, that shouldn't count either. DeJounte Murray, plus 1,600. He's so good. He went from 16-7-5 to 18-8-9. Three minutes more per game. And it's like San Antonio. You can't give most improved to a San Antonio Spurs. You just can't. Uh, New look offense for San Antonio. They're actually fun. They're leading the league in uh, uh, six in the league in, in steals per game. I think they're like top three in the league in transition buckets per game. They're actually very fun. He's fifth in the NBA in assist percentage. As you can tell, I'm not really feeling it, right? Like I'm not really feeling giving him this award. He's fifth in the NBA assist to turnover ratio at 3.8. Like him, fun guy. Don't think so. Another, uh, like another pick that I think is getting some buzz but not a lot of bets is Lonzo Ball. Plus 2,700. I think this is narrative base. Um, Chicago is good. Lonzo Ball is happy. Um, Chicago is like succeeding in a way that nobody expected them to. He's leading his team in a defensive way. He's doing really well from a assist perspective. He went from 15, 5, and 6 to 13, 6, and 5. His steals and blocks are up 30%. His offensive rebounds are up 40%. He's taking less shots per game on four minutes. His defensive rating is 105. Very, very good. 
Won't give it to him, but he's very good. Another player that got some buzz, who I really like, but not sure you can give it to him because of how much he's been starting, and I think he's going to go into the six-man role, so like that change in role throughout a season I think is going to change how people see him. Jordan Poole, plus 4,200. He went from 12 points to 18 a game. 43% last year to 45% this year, but the thing that kind of like kills me is that he went from 19 minutes a game to 30. So like the numbers really changed because his time on the floor changed. I don't think he changed his offensively, at least defensively. He has become a lot better. His decision-making is better. His finishing around the rim through contact is better. His defensive rating is really good. 103.6. And that's for a guy who had to step up and like fulfill Clay Thompson's role. Huge responsibility, a lot of limelight, a lot of pressure, Um, He's been tremendous. I wouldn't give it to him, but I could see him being somewhere in the conversation for voting. Sixth man of the year. We're just seeing if we had anything else after this. Coach of the year, we'll just get too fast. Tyler Hero, he's going to win it. Started 10 of 32 games this season, so you might say, Trista, he shouldn't win it. The reason that he's starting is all of his teammates are either getting COVID or they're injured. Like He's a sixth man because he's supposed to come off the bench. That is what his role is. I'm sorry that COVID is changing things. That's just the way that it is right now. It's like, oh, well, sorry, Tyler Hero. We're going to give um, – some random guy from the big three is starting role because your role is to come off the bench because uh, you should win six man of the year. No, 20.4, five and four, uh, which is a huge increase from last year. He's improved his free throw percentage up from 80% to 85%. Uh, he's a starting caliber player that comes off the bench and he's just absolutely balling. He has 157 points off the bench in seven games. That's the most since 1975 in that stretch he had a team high 25 points in uh tuesday night's game against the dallas mavericks 125 110 he was a big part of that win they probably shouldn't have won that game they're so undermanned and eric spolster calls tyler hero the most skilled player in one of the most skilled players in the league that is why uh him and pat riley would not trade tyler hero in the kyle lowry sweepstakes last year i don't know if i would say that tyler hero is one of the most skilled players in the league he is very erratic, uh, very electric, but very erratic. Some of the other players that are getting some noise, Montrez Harrell, he's a six man. He's playing really well. If the Wizards were doing better, I think he would be more in the conversation. Wizards are floundering. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they are. And as a result, Montrez Harrell probably will not win the award again. He won it, what, two years ago? Jalen Brunson should have some at least like consideration but the problem for him is because Luca got injured and then Luca got COVID yes he got COVID it's hard to keep up he's been starting he's been starting a lot of games he started 18 out of 36 games you just can't give it to him he just starts way too much um Dennis Schroeder getting some love but he started a lot Jordan Poole He's in the conversation, but he started 28 out of 30 games. Like you just Really, the player that you have to give it to is just Tyler Hero. You just have to. All right, Coach of the Year, final award. Got to give it to J.B. Bickerstaff, in my opinion. It's either J.B. Bickerstaff or it's Billy Donovan, and it's no one else. I know Steve Kerr is coaching his ass off, but you have Steph Curry, and like you were a dynasty, and I know you hired a bunch of development guys to really in- increase, you know, how players are learning your system and you're making sure that everybody fits into their roles appropriately. And he's coaching his ass off. He is. But what J.B. Bickerstaff has done with being, you had the third overall pick last year and you're fifth in the East right now with one additional piece, two additional pieces. Like you've made four seven footers work on your roster. Like, I don't know. That is Emerald Lagasse level like coaching here. Like we talk about how to use pieces and make them fit together into an amazing tasting looking meal. Like nobody, in my opinion, has done a better job with stranger feeling pieces. We all thought four seven footers. You've got Kevin Love, you got Jared Allen, you got Evan Mobley, you got Taco Fall, you got Lori Markinen. What in the world are you going to do with all that? long length seven footers like they're athletic but like how are you going to make it all work and he has like it works 
Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, like I said earlier, they're working in a way where they're playing at the exact same time. Kevin Love is playing significant minutes. You took him from a guy that was the worst contract in all of the NBA to a guy I think you could actually trade now. <laughs> I think people will want him now. 25 points in, like, in multiple games this year. Playing his role very effectively. In shape, not injured. Like I don't know how J.B. Bickerstaff is doing it. He was on the hot seat before this year started. Like He was top five. Many articles had him on the hot seat because they were low-key trash. He lucked his way, quote-unquote, lucked his way in from being an interim head coach when Beeline got fired to being the full-time head coach. And it's like, what are you doing? Maybe we need to go a different direction. And J.B. Bickerstaff has just been phenomenal. Phenomenal. You could say Billy Donovan as well because Chicago went from being a fringe playoff team that didn't make it to the playoffs to being the number one in the East. But, like, come on now. Another player, another coach that I think should get significant consideration that I didn't mention is also Taylor Jenkins, fourth in the West, making guys like Desmond Bain into, like, real deal, most improved candidates. You've got Xavier Tillman, who's playing really well. Like, you've used Steven Adams in a very unique way that's perfect for his skill set. Like, he is maximizing. If you think about each player as a sponge, he filled with water he's squeezing the lash drops out of each sponge that he possibly can and it's like i don't know how you're gonna pay all these guys because they're all so good and you've made them into like such successful players like dylan brooks for example also seen as like alligator arms and now you've turned him into a real deal clamps player who's also getting like 25 points per night. Like this team is fucking electric. I love Taylor Jenkins. I would love to meet him and find out what makes his little brain go. <laughs> That's all the time that we have for the heat check. We will be back Wednesday morning early squirrely with a new episode. Please do not forget to download, subscribe. Please tell all your friends. Please tell all your friends. Please tell all your friends. Every damn one of them. We will see you Wednesday. Follow us on social at, at this heat check and at Trista Crick on TikTok. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.